Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Stay tuned with the two of two O's. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From a place in a very dark, dark corner of sub-level 18, deep in Area 51, hello and welcome to TalkCast 335, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Munching on Melba toast and cheese food spread, I'm the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, some of the gang, in the Acton TARDIS reseating company, our technical anarchist, our button-pushing, keyboard-clacking, sonic screwdriving girl genius, more fun than a box of Tanganyikan Malamars, it's Kriana. I'm impressed that you wrote something you can't even pronounce. Well, what else is new with me? <clears throat> Welcoming her back from the stacks of her personal space in the dank dungeon's long drive to nowhere, she befriends robots, invites aliens to lunch, and has been known to knit with a chupacabra. Welcome back, Zombrarian. Do you mean I use the chupacabra as a tool? Or I have a knitting buddy who is a chupacabra. Because both things are true. Oh, well, in that case, yes. We don't know if uh, Java's going to join us tonight. If he does, it'll be the uh, L. Ron Howard show. But if not, um, we'll catch him next week. <laughs> Our guest this week is... An enigmatic writer. Here's how this one happened. I was at a convention about a month, month and a half ago, and a mutual friend of ours said, you know, Ursula's got a new book. And I said, well, let's get her on. Because as long as I've known Ursula, which has been about a year, year and a half, I guess, she writes some of the greatest uh, horror sci-fi uh, uh emotional stuff I've ever read. And then I got the book and I went, this is something completely different. So let's welcome the completely different Ursula Wong to the show. Ursula, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate having you on. I was thrown by your new book, Amber Wolf. Thrown basically because it's unlike anything I've ever read by you before. Well, <laughs> um, let me tell you how it came to be. Cool. By the way, the name of the book is Amber Wolf. And unlike anything she's ever written before, this is a World War II thriller. That's right. It's a military thriller about the uh, Soviet invasion of Eastern Europe during World War II. In a certain way, in a certain perspective, it's a sci-fi topic, right? 
Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> no, so well, where, um, where did it come from? My uncle was uh, in the army, in the U.S. Army during World War II, and he was stationed in Europe. And he met um, a number of DPs, displaced persons, who were wandering around the continent. And a lot of them were uh, from Eastern Europe, specifically from Lithuania. And he kept in touch with many of them after the war ended, and he came back to the United States and got his law degree. And flash forward uh, 50 years to his death, upon which I found manuscripts among his papers. So one of these manuscripts, I think, was from a man who uh, eventually moved to Boston. And it was an early draft of a book that I think my uncle was translating. And it got me very interested in what happened to Lithuania, because I'm Lithuanian, that's my heritage. It got me interested in what happened in Lithuania during the war, and I began researching it and started my own novel based on the inspiration from this very obscure manuscript among my uncle's possessions after he died. So tell me about <clears throat> Ludmila Kudurka. Was that even close? No, that's, that's very good. Ludmila, Ludmila Kudirka. Okay. So she's our heroine. Yeah, she's our heroine. And she's a 21-year-old girl in Lithuania. Her father is a history professor who was deported in 1941 to Siberia. And she's living in a little cottage with her mother about a year before the war ends. And this is the time when the Russians are coming through toward their, they're on their irrevocable march toward Berlin. And they sweep through the Baltics, they sweep through Eastern Europe, and begin the occupation that will ultimately last into the 1990s. So Ludmilia is, you know, 21, 22 years old, and she's full of life. She wants to go to school, she wants to do normal things, and here she's in this mess where she can do nothing because there's so much fear about the Soviet occupation. So the story, the novel actually starts with Ludmilla uh, and her mother thinking that they can hide away from the war. The war won't find them. So they're in their little cottage and Ludmilla's mother notices that some trucks are, are outside uh, on the road and she hurries Ludmilla into the attic. So Ludmilla is into the attic, this cramped, dark space, and she's listening as the door to the cottage bursts open, soldiers rush in, and there's a dialogue with Ludmilla's mother, and, you know, things digress. The soldiers demand... Quite badly, actually, yeah. And so Ludmilla is thrust into this urgent scenario, and the book goes from that point. Um, Ludmilla, by the end of chapter one, Ludmilla has to decide how she's going to survive. And that is really the thrust of the remainder of the novel. And the novel goes back and forth from her particular story to kind of an overview of what's going on, so that when they clash, it's particularly particularly discomforting. This is one of the most, I, I had thought, 
that some of your horror work was very uncomfortable, which is what it's supposed to do. Uh, and it works wonderfully. Uh, but this book, wow, did that take me out of my element? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> did you know when you started putting this book together where it was going to go? Not really. No, uh, this definitely cr- had a life of its own. Um, I found that it got more and more. War is complex, and the novel is complex. Uh, the situation, the political situation in Lithuania was complex during the war. So I wrote for a couple of months, and then I outlined for a couple of weeks, and then I redid, and then we outlined and redid, but I had to go through this process to get all of the threads uh, consistent and accurate. And one of the hardest things was trying to lend the air of credibility. Um, You know, what does war really feel like? What would an occupation really feel like? So that took a tremendous amount of time and effort and a lot of research. Yeah, well, you made that part work, let me tell you. I mean, it's it's, uh, um, on, you know, page 20, and I'm going, this is not fun. <laughs> and, and you know, the, the more I got into the book, the more it took me out of my comfort zone. But the one thing that this book has that all your books seem to have is women with strength. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I, I try to write about strong women, but you know, I really don't know any women who aren't strong. I mean, maybe it doesn't come out initially, but uh, every woman I know is, you know, just has some really strong grit down in the bottom of their belly. And I like that to come out in my novels. I like to see that. I mean, it may take a bizarre set of circumstances for that to occur. Well, a war is a bizarre set of circumstances. But um, that's what I really like to, to get to. Was Ludmilla's uh, character in these manuscripts that you found, or was she the construct that you used to tell the story? She was the construct. I used the original manuscript mostly for reference and detail. So, um, for instance, there were some descriptions of the uh, forest, the swampland, and so forth in the original manuscript that helped me with the realism in Amber Wolf. So I really used it as a reference, but the characters are completely different in Amber Wolf. Was that original, those those original books that you found, they were in Lithuanian, correct? Yes, they, I believe they were originally written in Lithuanian, yes. And how, how did you get that transfer done? Well, my uncle had actually finished a complete translation so I had carbon copies of this English manuscript, and I, I actually tried to see if it had ever been published, and uh, that took a, a little bit, too. I eventually ended up searching for specific characters in that original novel, and I, I got a hit through Google and found a review written in a Lithuanian newspaper about it, so from that perspective, I found that it actually had been published. 
But again, um, you know, I had this English translation of a very early draft. I mean, there were issues with it um, in terms of uh, the craft of the story and so forth. So I know that was all smoothed out before publication. But nonetheless, it had some very uh, good basic information. And it held a passion. It held a certain tension and passion that I admired and I tried to recreate in Amber Wolf. From, from a personal perspective, how was it to handle these, these original papers and translations? What kind of responsibility did you, did you have during that, that period? Well, that's a, that's a very interesting question. So it took two years to research the novel, so I, I tried to be true to the actual history as best as I could. But there aren't that many people left who can really talk to what it was like to live in the woods and, you know, steal weapons from the Russians. So I had to take certain leaps. I tried to be very, very honest with this, and I tried to really dig down to what the whole experience must have been like. Uh, the, the people who were in the occupied countries were just, I mean, they were, in Lithuania, they were mostly farmers. And how this surge of Red Army soldiers coming in and really raiding their farms and doing all sorts of damage to the people and the envir- in the uh, villages and so forth. And just ruining their lives. I mean, you know, you go through an awful lot of very uncomfortable description about how their lives were effectively just turned upside down by the occupation. Oh, yeah, yeah. And to think that went on for decades and decades. For these people, the war started in 1944. That's insane. Just saying. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. I think it's an aspect of history that we really don't know that much about here in the United States. Where the, 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 the Soviet occupation of all of these satellite countries in uh, Eastern Europe that yeah. was the war for many of those for millions of people. Right, the war didn't start for them until what we perceive to be the end of World War II. Exactly, exactly. So, what's it like for you in putting a story together with this very clear historical perspective and inventing these characters inside of it? How's the, how did that process work? Um, I'm sorry, I could throw some softballs at you, but I'd rather not. This is really interesting for me. Um, Wow, I knew I wanted the main character to be a woman, and I wanted it to be a younger woman, because I felt that I could analyze anything through the eyes of my daughter, who was 21 years old. Uh, So that's why I picked that type of person for uh, for the main character. And the others pretty much evolved. The head of the partisans and uh, uh, Abronai and Goethe Ravas, who run the farm, and you know, all of these characters kind of evolved as the story evolved. So it started very simply. And in fact, the first manuscript I ever did of Amber Wolf was where Ludmilla was with her mother, and we were actually in the, in the 1970s. And the mother was sick in a hospital bed, about to tell Ludmilla her story 
of the war. So that created a certain amount of characters. And of course, I I used a completely different uh, avenue to to break the story open in the the actual novel. But the characters evolved. I, I... you know the Russian bad guy, the Russian good guy. Um, you know the, the the aspect that who we perceive as the good characters, the the good side do bad things, good people do bad things, bad people do bad things. I mean, it's it was a crazy and it was an insane time. So, how how does it feel for you when you have like these character sketches together, and you have the this Russian general who is just not a nice person. Let's just leave it there. And then, then you have Russian soldiers who sometimes are and sometimes aren't. So some of the characters are black and white. Some of them are very, very diverse. How did that happen? Well, I, I didn't want to be one-dimensional. I thought I, I, there are bad people in the world. There are bad people today. There were bad people during the world. There are always bad people in the world. And maybe they have a little bit less dimension. Although a person like Stalin, I mean, there are how many hundred hundred thousand pages or more written about Stalin's life, yep. and he was a, a very bad guy. Yeah, but not a happy guy. Char- <laughs> not a happy guy. And I didn't want the characters to be one-dimensional. So um, I wanted, you know, even good people put in, a, in the right circumstance can do horrible things. And I wanted that to be part of the story. And I wanted the effect of the war on women to be part of the story. I mean, what, what do you do if, you know, God forbid you are impregnated by a Russian soldier? What, what does that mean to you? I mean, do you try to get rid of the kid? Uh, do you, do you have the child? Do you try to love it? And all of this is based on the personality of the character. The path is dependent on the personality, but I wanted to bring up all these different dimensions because these people had to have been worried about all of that during this time. And there's there's um, a level of truth to the characters that, as I read it, it's just kind of, yeah. And I did a whole lot of, ugh, but yeah, I get it. Uh, what were you trying to show the reader by this book? Well, I my goals were not so um, deep. I wanted to um, write a story that brought to light not only this little corner of history from my heritage, but to teach a little bit about Lithuania. I think a lot of us, a lot of people, have Lithuanian friends and so forth. Uh, there was a massive ex- exodus from the country right after World War One, but what the country was about a little, I wanted to include a little bit of the folklore, a little bit of the food. I wanted to show a little bit about what the people and culture was like, as well as bringing historical accuracy to August, 1944 in Lithuania. Yeah. Well, you you did that. (laughs) And let me tell you the, I I was in a pretty bad mood for the two years it took to wrote the novel. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I get that. Totally. I had to, you know, think through all sorts of things I would normally not think through, like how do you get a person to talk when they don't want to talk? So it 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 had its it had its moments. Well, sometimes my basic... husband came home. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Go ahead. 
sometimes my husband came home from uh, his job and I was just in a vile mood and sometimes I would run out to meet him as he was pulling into the yard. I wouldn't even let him get out before I told him what I had learned about the Soviet occupation. So it was a, the the year had a lot of up and downs through this novel. Well, the one thing that you accomplished more than anything else, as far as me as a reader is concerned, is uh, there's one person in this book who has to be real. And you have to understand every nuance of her life. And you do that. Yeah, Ludmilia. Yeah. yeah. She was lucky that her father, as a history professor, had this grasp of what not only the, the dynamics of the uh, powers uh, during World War I and after, but he had this foresight in terms of the Russian and Soviet thinking. So he was, Ludmilla's father was able to prepare his children the best he could by basically making them survivalists. So he taught them how to live in the woods, how to hunt and fish and trap and um, with, uh, uh, how to use guns. And uh, he did all of this so his children would survive. So he had the insight, he had the awareness to try to do something for his children that would help them get through all this. The character of Ludmilla uh, is a very personal character. And I'm guessing it's a very personal character for you. So I'm thinking that every time you talk about it, every time you talk about the book, every time you talk about her, it kind of brings up these feelings again. It, it does, too. I, obviously, I adore Ludmilla. I am proud of her in that she is smart and she has talent that she doesn't know. Her talent surprises her as it comes out, as it's needed. And I like that about her. The fact that she was in those wartime circumstances in some horrible circumstances is just a consequence of the time. But ultimately, I'm very, very proud of Ludmilla because I think that she, of all people, rises to the occasion and she does what she has to do without thinking necessarily of the impact on her other than in just very general terms. So she does the job. Yeah, 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 she absolutely does. So, let's take a deep breath <laughs> and talk about the StorySide Consortium for a little bit, which is a book publishing cooperative that you're a part of. Yes, the StorySide. So, you know the people on the StorySide. It's uh, Vlad Vaslin, the beautiful Stacy Longo, Rob Smales, David Daniel, and myself. And we are a writer's consortium. And what we do is we help each other with the editing and production side of books, but we are very much into the business side of publishing and marketing books. What do you mean by that? Well, so what we spend a lot of time doing is trying to figure out 
whether Facebook ads are a good avenue, whether Facebook boosts are a good avenue for people to uh, get in, interested in a new publication. We uh, uh, look at social media. We track statistics on social media to see how an advertising campaign might work or might not work as we expected. We look at um, even some um, search engine optimization in terms of specific words we put in descriptive terms on the uh, book jackets so that it increases the hit rate for a particular subject. So we look at all of that bundle of uh, activity possibility that is involved with getting a book out there and fostering some interest for a book. And, and of then course, you will with our go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. With our no, simple no, so, with our simple social media connections, for instance, Facebook. There, uh, all of us combined are far greater than one of us. So, when a book comes out, Rob did a um, Carol of the Bells uh, fairly recently, uh, and that was a cute story. It was a little novella, and so we all tried to market it through our own social media cha- uh, channels as well as. Story side marketing it through the story side channels, so it's it's more of a synergy. We're trying to reach a kind of synergy so that we all help each other do what we can to reach our readers. Well, uh, yeah. Um, what's been the reaction of readers to this book? What did you hear? What kind of feedback did you get? A lot of people like it, and I'm very relieved. <laughs> A couple of people said it was a little bit complicated for their tastes, but I think that if it hooks you in the beginning, if you are the type of person that would be hooked by a wartime scenario, that the complexity just fades away. You just get into the story. There's no way around it. You kind of have to. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got your short fiction. You've got your... Your first book, um, uh, Purple Trees. Purple Trees, yeah. Your, your second book, Amber Wolf. And what's coming up for you? Yeah, um, so the story, story side is going to publish a long short story as a Kindle short called The Baby Who Fell from the Sky. That's going to come out this year. Cool. The Baby Who Fell from the Sky. So this is a fable that I made up about Peru, about Peruvian spiritualism in the Andes Mountains. So it's about a little old lady who finds a baby, and it's their story. And then uh, with uh, the story side, folks will be doing Insanity Tales 3. That'll come out in 2017. And that's going to be another collection of crazy horror tales and you know we'll we'll come up with some stuff it's going to be called the seasons of shadow story side is kind of well known for that yeah these yeah you've got some of the best right there including yourself um what people may or may not know about you is this is your second or third career uh you're actually a retired engineer I am, yeah, computer engineer, yeah, yeah, back in the day. I'd been so, retired about seven years. So how did you go from that 
writing stuff that just is so icky and cool at the same time. Well, I wanted to do something that I could do anywhere. So writing is something that had been on my mind for a while. And when I retired, I went to school. I took um, courses at UMass Lowell and at the Cambridge Center for Adult Education and at various places in the area to get a better handle on the craft of writing. And then I just wrote a lot. And, you know, six years later, it's two novels, two anthologies, and um, the sequel to Amber Wolf is in the works. Wow. That scares me. <laughs> I'll, I'll be dead honest with you. That one scares me, the thought. Of well, so one of Amber 2, Amber 2 will be about the, after World War II ends, what happens after the, you know, war. And the, this is really where the Soviet occupation settles in. And I'm also thinking about Amber 3, which will thrust us into the future with um, maybe something about the nuclear power plant in Lithuania, which is really exists. It is being dismantled as we speak, but it is a Chernobyl-style nuclear power plant. So maybe oh, we'll man. have a little futuristic story about something involving nuclear stuff. So you're an engineer, you're a writer, and, and a damn good writer, by the way. Uh, uh, you're a historian in, in many respects, and you're juggling all this stuff, plus your family. Uh, and you're, you're doing an incredible job. That's, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that, but that's, that's fine, you know. There's so many times I'll sit here in an interview and the person will be thinking, was that actually a question? And the answer most of the time is, no, it wasn't. It was just a statement that I made. The book is one of the scariest things I've, I've read in a very long time. The book is called Amber Wolf. It's the saga of love and war in Lithuania towards the end of World War II. There's a second and possibly a third book coming with it. And our guest has been the incredible Ursula Wong. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a delight. Ah, well, what can I tell you? When I like what I'm reading, even when it's, it's creepy stuff like this, and, and it was, uh, you know, I just, it, it was funny because uh, I have a couple of friends at work uh, who say, so who are you reading? And I would try and describe this book. And it, the first hundred pages are, well, here's some stuff that happens. <laughs> and it's just kind of, yeah, they're looking at going, and you're enjoying this? And I'm going, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ursula, thanks so much. And know that you're welcome back anytime for any reason, as well as the rest of the StorySide Consortium, all people that that we all know here on the show and really, really uh, like and appreciate their work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, Kriana. What? Are we going to do some? We're going to do some news. Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you. See, I missed that song, Brian. Did you I really? I totally did.
You're lying, but it's okay. No, I wish I was, but I'm not because I don't lie all that well. I know that there was, you wanted to talk about the uh, Goodreads Choice Awards. I did because today when we are recording, it is November 1st. And today when we are recording, the um, preliminary round has started. Um, And you can go and nominate any book written in English and published in the U.S. in 2016. Um, And what I think is really cool about the Goodreads Choice Awards is that they have um, typical, like, fiction, mystery, history, science, cookbooks, and then they give fantasy and sci-fi and horror each their own category someone at goodreads understands that people who read fantasy and people who read sci-fi and people who read horror are not necessarily all going to overlap which i thought was awesome very true and then um i think that this is for a very different reason but they've separated out YA fiction and YA fantasy. I think in part because um, fantasy tends to dominate the YA category. And they wanted to give some realistic fiction books a chance. (laughs) Um, But I am excited by a lot of the books on these lists. We're going to have to see if they stay. But and let's talk more about that next week when when we can talk about some of the books that are on the list. Yeah, well, they have the preliminary list, and then you can nominate different ones if you want to. So go nominate your favorite books or vote whichever you feel, and next week we can talk about it. So last night was was Halloween here. Um, really here too amazing the way that it's works it's like halloween it? is on the same night every, every place it was the same night and of course as as the children were snarfing down their snickers bars uh i was watching uh my holiday favorite for halloween hocus pocus <gasps> did you see that okay i am a fan of bet midler on facebook for her words for her annual Halloween party this year she dressed oh, as wow. Winifred Sanderson well it was it was interesting because it, it's the three witches which are wonderful and, and our friend your Doug friend Jones. and mine Mr. Doug Jones everybody's friend Doug Jones and it was interesting because I found an article today that says all three actresses want Hocus Pocus 2. All three of them. Which is... But, like, what would they do? I don't know. Like, I don't what know. would that storyline be? And could you really have Hocus Pocus 2 because... Did the 90s hair 
have something to do with the success of that movie. Because you think back and all of the male leads in that movie had amazing hair. Like Ryder Strong level flips. I don't know. I'm willing to take a chance, but... You know, Midler and Kathy Najimy and and Sarah Jessica Parker want to come, want to do it. And I think... Did they talk to your friend and mine, Doug Jones? I hope so. Because I don't see Hocus Pocus 2 without Billy. I just don't see it. No. Oh, my gosh. Prequel. And then he could have a huge part. Oh, wow. it could be this wonderful love story between him and Winifred Sanderson. Yep. And then he figures out she's a witch. (laughs) (gasps) And then he tries to... Oh my gosh, you know what Hocus Pocus 2 should be? Hocus Pocus 2, colon, The Life of Billy Bones. Oh, would and that be a It's like but... flashbacks and flash forwards. And he, the conceit is that this zombie dude is like all huddled up in the Sanderson house, like every year on Halloween and he comes out of his grave and he tells the story to these kids and there's a big group of kids and I, I don't know. I think, we'll find a I way to put a talking cat in there. Right? Absolutely. You could use clips from the old movie. It wouldn't be as expensive. It could work and it would be fun. It would be. See, this is why great. people should hire me to write things like this. I think we need to get in touch with Disney and make this happen. No. I'll have my people call their people. Okay, perfect. I also wanted to mention two other things that are going on right now. Uh, Joss Whedon's been doing a whole bunch of vote, uh, get out the vote PSAs. And his latest one, which uh, broke this morning, has uh, uh, Chris Pine, Alan Tudyk, and J. August Richards. Uh, and it's really, really cool. Uh, and yeah. Just don't miss that, and we will we will link you up for that. And uh, next Tuesday is Vote Week, so get out there and and give a hoot, don't pollute her or whatever. You just made zero sense. I know, I know. It's that it's been, whole thing was very scary and garbled. And then I did something. I have no idea what it was, but I did something. Hey, Kriana. I don't know if she's there or not. Oh, there you are. Who's on the show next week? No idea. Okay. Well, run some music and I'll tell you. Next week, V.S. Holmes of Amphibian Press comes on to discuss her book, The Travelers, and the Reforged series. Uh, it's kind of Indiana Jones-ish and quite factually correct. I want to take a minute to let you know that Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic-Con, Granite Con, Northeast Comic-Con, uh, booksandbooze.com, and comicarthouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you have a free moment, take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon. Our intro music production is provided by Rob Watts. Find more of his creations on robwattsonline.com.
www.lawrencemademecry.com. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can check out more of their grooves on, oddly enough, lawrencemademecry.com. I want to thank Ursula Wong for joining us tonight and just uh, get to talk about her book and, and her stuff and check it out. Uh, it may not be in your comfort zone. I don't know that this book is in anyone's com comfort zone, but it's an amazing book. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I want to thank our cast from the Action Act in Time Warp, Sweetheart of the Soundboard, Kriana, and welcome Brax on Brian. Thank you so much. Yay! There's a me! There absolutely is, and it's always fun to have you. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pen is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. Oh, I know.